Welcome to the RHA Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is John O'Hara, Managing Director at Sunny Queen Proprietary Limited. It's great to have you along today, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation with John O'Hara. I first met John when he spoke at an Australian Institute of Management lunch in about 2009, and it's been very interesting to watch Sunny Queen grow tremendously over that time under John's leadership. Before I introduce John to you properly, let me briefly introduce myself for those who are new to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive. And we recruit CEOs, senior leaders and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. If you have any recruitment needs within your own business, I would welcome the opportunity to have a talk to you about how we could assist. Let me now introduce to you, John. John O'Hara has been the Managing Director at Sunny Queen since April 2002. Sunny Queen are a privately owned company generating its revenue from the manufacturing, marketing and distribution of egg and egg products in Australia. John is also a non-executive director with Sun Pork and Swickers. He completed a Bachelor of Business in Communications and Public Relations at QUT John lives with his family in Brisbane, Australia. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with John O'Hara. We're rolling now. So, John, welcome to the Arate Podcast. It's uh, fantastic to have you along. And we're sitting out here in your facility at Carroll Park uh, on a beautiful... uh, autumn day, uh, Friday, about to head into the weekend. Exciting weekend ahead for you. Thanks, Richard. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing very little this weekend. Right. Uh, just trying to you know, wind down from the week's work and okay. uh, yeah, maybe catch up on some reading and uh, get out and uh, do a bit of shopping. Oh, good. Okay, so a pretty lazy one. Yeah. Excellent. Well, look, uh, I suppose to begin with, John, just for the benefit of people who are listening in, um, tell us a little bit about your current professional responsibilities. Okay, so I'm I'm currently the uh, the uh, the managing director and CEO of of Sunny Queen. Uh, I've been in this role for 15 years, and um, I also uh, am a director of Sun Pork, mm-hmm. uh, Sun Pork Stroke Swickers, which is a, a pork uh, group. Um, uh, they make value-added uh, pork products, mm-hmm. um, and I'm also the secretary of a of a, uh, a voluntary organisation called Friends and Partners with East Timor, which wow. I've done for a number of years. Okay. Um, well, just uh, looking at those uh, sort of individually, so what's the, uh, the um, East Timor um, relationship? Is there some history there for you? Yeah, look, through, uh, through our local community, our local church, uh, they set up a, a group about um, 15, 16 years ago now, whereby they decided to help uh, the Western Districts of, um, of East Timor around mm-hmm. the Atabai District. Uh, because some of our, our parishioners were militarily involved over there and, okay. and, and when they had the vote and they actually asked, look, don't forget us, could you come back and help us? And right. a very poor nation, as, as everyone would know. Mm. So we we started a contact with Atabai, with the local uh, um, people, the community and the parish, 
uh, in Atabai and uh, over time we've assisted them from everything from uh, two-way communication in the early days uh, to now we run educational services, speaking English, computer classes, okay. through help on the ground with a local uh, Palms volunteers. So we have a, we've had a long relationship there, so we've put a lot of people through different uh, educational facilities mm -hmm. and, uh, and also help the local community with their nutrition and their mm -hmm. health. Okay, and have you spent much time there yourself? I've been over there a couple of times. Right. Um, as, the, as the secretary, I suppose I've been involved in that role for about eight or nine years. So I have been over there twice, and um, we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of improvements, particularly mm -hmm. when uh, they finally got power connected. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the The road from Dili to to Atabai takes uh, almost three hours, and it's uh, less than a hundred kilometres away. Okay. Uh, but these days they've now sealed that road, mm -hmm. and uh, you know the, the journey takes just about an hour and a half. Right. So a lot of improvements have actually uh, have actually happened. When I first went there. Uh, the, the, the kiddies couldn't speak English. Mm -hmm. um, now we go there, they, they pull you up in the street and they want to have a chat in English okay. to help their English. So right. it's, it's, it's been good. Oh, fantastic. And uh, Sun Pork, I've had Rob uh, on the podcast previously and uh, he's a, a very interesting guy. How did uh, your association with Sun Pork start? Well, um, the, the, the people that own Sunny Queen are two, two of the three shareholders that also own Sunport. Oh, okay. And um, one of the shareholders asked me to, uh, to become a board member yeah. to, to help that organisation, particularly as it moved towards, uh, if you like, becoming a, a food company and adding value to the, to the business. So, mm -hmm. um, so hence I, I went on board about, I don't know, three or four years ago. Right. I suppose it makes sense being uh, a bacon and egg company, uh, quite synergistic, I suppose. And uh, have you enjoyed uh, being a non-executive director on another organisation? Yeah, look, it's 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 great to to see how other people operate, and uh, and to uh, and it's rewarding to be able to help them in their journey, mm -hmm. um, because no two organisations are the same. Even though you do have common shareholding, you've got different cultures and different yeah. approaches. Okay, and let's talk uh, about your current, um, your primary responsibilities. So Sunny Queen, I mean, most people are probably aware of the little smiley face on their eggs, but uh, give us an idea of the scope and scale of the business. Yeah, look, uh, good question. We, uh, a little bit of history, uh, I, I joined Sunny Queen about 15 years ago. We were basically a one-state organisation, um, unlisted public company at the time, um, eventually convinced the two major shareholders uh, to, to purchase the, the, the rest of the business, so we privatised, mm -hmm. and we were predominantly a shell egg business. So we, we sold eggs predominantly in Queensland um, back then, but now today we, we sell uh, Sunny Queen eggs throughout all of Australia, mm -hmm. and uh, we have a number of major contracts with retailers um, and also with food service people. Mm -hmm. The other exciting thing that we, we undertook was a journey from about 2006 it was, uh, so it's been 10 years now, 11 years, uh, to, to start going into further value adding uh, of, of egg into, mm -hmm. into products. We thought that you just can't have all your eggs in one basket, sure. so there's the first pun. <laughs> um, and uh, so we decided to, uh, to, to look at what else we could do and clearly around the world it was all about uh, adding value, mm. coming up with meal solutions as we, as we now call it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've just recently completed a, a state-of-the-art facility uh, that's like no other in Australia mm -hmm. um, and certainly would be among the best in the world, mm -hmm. uh, just sheer by what we do. And is all your production done from here or you have other facilities like this elsewhere? So we have another facility uh, up on the Darling Downs which basically uh, converts shell egg into pulp. 
Okay. Um, and also we do our scrambled egg mix up there. So we take the pulp from there and bring it down to here and then add further value, mixing it up, making it into omelettes, mm -hmm. fritters, frittatas, quiches, right. that sort of thing. Okay. And uh, give us an idea of the sort of size of turnover and head count, those things that you can talk openly about. Yeah, well, being a private company, we don't normally go into things like this, but, you know, our, our business here has do, does have some uh, public uh, accounts and, you know, we're about a, I don't know, we're a $270 million plus business. Uh -huh. um, we've got about 100 and, 130 employees. Uh, when I first came, we were we were a company that was lucky to turn over $50 million and we had 19 employees. Wow. Mm, so, so we've had a lot of organic growth. We right. We haven't bought businesses or... Mm -hmm. It's been pretty much a hard slog and creating our, our wealth along the way by, by doing it ourselves. Okay. Well, I'm certainly uh, keen to hear more about that. But before we get there, let's go back to, uh, you know, where it all began for you and talk to us about where you were born and early life, mum, dad, growing up, etc. Well, I'm a country boy uh, originally, but I, I, I can't really put a claim to fame to being in, uh, from the country. I, I was born in Mount Isa uh, many years ago, but uh, I think we lasted about 12 to 18 months before we, we moved down to Brisbane. Uh, my father was in, the, in well, working for Mount Isa Mines uh, yeah. back then, and uh, and then we moved to uh, moved to Brisbane where I attended primary and secondary schools. And did he travel here with Mount Isa Mines? Yes. Or, uh, he, no, he, uh, my father originally came out from from England, he, yeah. uh, UK. After um, I suppose after the war was over, he he decided that the gloomy skies and and the dullness of the UK was not where he wanted to pitch his tent. So yeah. he, he made the journey out as a young 22-year-old and uh, started a new life here in Australia. Right. I'm a, a, a child of two English parents who did much the same. I suppose um, my question was, uh, did he move to Brisbane whilst working for Mount Isa Mines or did he leave his career with them and start a new career down here? Yeah, no, he... he uh, uh, he, he started off in the mines um, working as a miner and then uh, he moved into uh, in the employment office and okay. started to, to be one of the employment officers here mm -hmm. uh, in Brisbane. Mm -hmm. So he moved down and uh, his, his job back then was to, in fact, help immigrants come into the country okay. and settle them into, into Mount Isa. So, right. uh, and a lot of them came from the UK. Mm -hmm. So he had personal experience both uh, coming from the UK and then obviously working in the mines. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so um, uh, primary and high schooling done here, here in Brisbane? That's correct, yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, part-time jobs while you are at school? Yeah, look, I, I started at an early age from um, from uh, selling hot chips at Lang Park uh, right. in, in the heady days when we had a, a local competition. So I was uh, I not only had the benefit of, of making money there and working hard, but I also saw the grand finals over the years okay. I was there. So yeah, I had a lot of part-time jobs from you know, selling newspapers, working in the corner grocery store, mm -hmm. to uh, to yeah, as I said, selling hot chips, and right. and that gave me the, some pocket money, and also gave me a taste, I suppose, for, for business. Mm -hmm. And uh, brothers and sisters. Yeah, I have two older brothers. Okay. Uh, one in Canberra and one living on Bribie Island. Right. So they're both retired. Uh huh. Um, and uh, have they? In fact, um, I've now worked out I'm the longest um, uh, surviving. Family member working in right. terms of uh, in in terms of distance and age. So, oh, uh, is that a good yeah. thing, or do you feel a bit envious? <laughs> oh, look, from time to time you feel envious, but um, no, I, I quite enjoy the uh, the rigor of uh, and the challenges. Oh, good. Yeah. And what about when you were growing up? Dad's working for MIM. What about your mum? Was she a stay at home mum, or was she working? No, as well? no, two household family. Uh, back then, everyone had to work to do their bit because right. you know, things were pretty tight. So uh, you know, we we go to school with. Um, 
you know, brown paper bags and greaseproof paper, and if we didn't use them three or four times a week, we'd get flogged. Oh, really? Literally, not literally, <laughs> but um, certainly uh, yeah. verbal abuse. Okay. Um, inverted commas. But, um, yeah, so Mum worked, and uh, she had varying roles, but her, her last major role was working as an assessor in the tax office. Okay. And uh, and then they upped and retired to Mount Tambourine. Right. Mm. And so when you were uh, sort of finishing high school, if you were um, envisaging your career and your life at that point, you know, what were you excited about doing? Look, I, I think eventually, I, I, look, I wanted to get into some sort of business um, mm-hmm. and, and make my way up through through the system. So I actually went on and did a, a, a public relations degree at, okay. uh, at Q, QIT at the time, now yep. QUT. Yep. Um, so I went through and did that. I, and, and to be honest, I had this view that I wanted to get into business, but I didn't really know what to do and how to do it. So I, but I did the degree um, just because, you know, my father said, look, I can't give you much, but we'll give you an education. Right. And, I mean, so um, why choose public relations versus a straight business degree? Well, it, it was a business degree in public relations, but okay. it, it, it was an area that I just, I don't know, I felt comfortable on. on um, I liked the whole idea of, of you know, PR, communication, mm-hmm. uh, journalism, that sort of area. Yeah. And I suppose back then, marketing as a degree was not, because I graduated high school in 85, and even in 85, there was not many marketing degrees as such that you could do. It was called other things like that, wasn't it? It was, um, although they, they, um, they, they did have a, a strain, a Bachelor of Business Marketing, um, but I, I suppose, um, uh, and I actually went back to, to QIT when I had a job with uh, at Nestle, I mean, or Nestle's back then, and we, um, they asked me to go back uh, as part of my employment agreement to, to, to go and learn about marketing and eventually okay. work in the marketing area because mm-hmm. I, I, I went, went for a job with them as a sales rep and, um, mm-hmm. and eventually made my way into, uh, into marketing. Right. Okay, so um, uh, finished school, went to QIT, completed your Bachelor of Business, yep. and then what happened from there? Yeah, so um, straight away, you know, timing's everything. And, and when I came out, there was a, a mini uh, depression or recession going on. So finding a job was very difficult. In fact, I finally found a job after four or five months, and it was pretty much doing clerical work. Okay. Working for a company called Olympic General Products. Mm-hmm. So they used to make uh, flexible foams, rigid foam materials, and uh, you know, for eskies and okay. uh, polyurethane for um, for you know the big refrigeration companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked there for about 18 months. Um, and uh, uh, after that time, I, I felt, look, I, I wanted to try and get into, um, uh, into PR. And uh, again, pretty, pretty hard sort of an area. But I eventually scored a role in, uh, in entertainment. And, and in fact, it was in roller skating. All right. So I, uh, I, I stayed with them for a number of years. And, uh, uh, but eventually... Uh, oh, well, what kind of business was that? Roller skating, so yeah. they had um, uh, it was a company called Skateway, and they had a, they had a rink at um, at Mancravat, a very large rink there. I remember one in, that one at Anala. Yeah, I remember that uh, too. And they had another one in Mackay, another one in, uh, in okay. Townsville. So, right. Um, and they also had another company called uh, it was a a roller skating manufacturer. So right. They, and so, what did you do for them? So I, I, I used to look after all their publicity and promotions. Okay. And. Um, and also, um, it, so that's on the rink side, and yeah. then on the other side, I used to uh, help design the brochures and, and, and pull together okay. the communications for for um, for all of Scott roller skating rinks around Australia to right. sell this particular type of um, uh, roller skate. And how long uh, were you there for? 
stretching the, the memory now, Richard, but it would have been probably, <laughs> uh, again, two, three years. Okay, um, okay. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, things got a bit tight and uh, there was only one job going and the two applicants was uh, myself and the managing director's son and I came right. close second. <laughs> so I had to move on from there and, uh, and it was, but, you know, I, I learned that, you know, every step along the way you learn something that's different that's going to help your skill set later mm-hmm. in life. And uh, and so, but I, I I became unemployed. I actually went on the unemployment queue, and I, I right. felt, uh, and I must admit, it was a harrowing experience to stand on a, a yeah. you know, to get the dole, and uh, and I didn't want to do that for too much uh, for, for for much. So, eventually, I um, I came across a a job working for a consumer group that did purchasing, buying, uh, and they they would get members. So I used to go door to door selling uh, memberships to this buying service. So sort of an Amway type thing. Yeah, but it was it was a quarter of, like a, the one that I was involved with was called Queensland Buyers Advisory Service, and, okay. and they used to have um, so you buy your membership, and people are always buying things, whether it be you know, uh, you know plant and equipment around the house like mowers and fridges and stuff yeah. like that to lounge suites to okay. to whatever, and um, yeah, I used to go door to door, and over, over an hour I'd try and and funnel in and uh, learn I suppose learn what these people are about, what their needs were, right. and then. And then um, uh, hopefully try and sign them up to a membership. Okay. And how long were you doing that for? Uh, look, just over twelve months. Right. But uh, I must admit, it was probably one of the most educational things I've done. Yeah. Was I successful? I was. I did okay, but I was mm-hmm. never going to be a world beater at it. Mm. Um, what What sort of qualities did you start to discover in yourself? I mean, uh, it, it's definitely not the traditional pathway or the the sort of more fortunate pathway of somebody who steps out of their degree and gets into an organisation, climbs the corporate ladder. I mean, you've had sort of three or four short-term roles that are all sort of pretty um, uh, unusual in, in many respects. What, what, what were you starting to recognise uh, in yourself to give you some clearer pathway about where your future career would go? Oh, look, for, for me, I was driven by the fact I, I didn't want to be unemployed. Um, and I, I knew that eventually, um, you know, I, I determined somewhere along the line that, that, that um, there's probably two growing industries or two industries that, that required... Um, expertise, skill. There's a future there, and that was food and computers. And right. um, I, I, I didn't talk to computers very well, so I decided, <laughs> you know, the food game was where I ultimately wanted to be. Yeah. But I, I, I then needed to to understand. Well, okay. Besides the PR side of things, which is a form of selling in its own right, but sure. to have that door to door experience, I started to come to terms with the fact that hey, you know, if you can sell things, uh, there's always companies out there that need representatives. Mm-hmm. And um, interestingly enough, I, I, I eventually left that role and became a cab driver for, for eight or nine months and okay. uh, saw an ad for Nestle for sales reps. Right. And I thought, this is me. And um, the guy who interviewed me, I'll never forget it, it was at the old, um, uh, well, uh, in town there, the um, uh, hotel across from City Hall. Um, I was interviewed there and uh, um, the guy had actually come across a person of my experience in Sydney doing the same type of selling. Yeah. Really enjoyed that's the, the way that selling technique worked mm-hmm. as you funnel people down for the sale. Yeah. And they were looking for graduate representatives to eventually move into, into marketing mm-hmm. into, in Sydney. So that was my break. They mm-hmm. gave me a job. Okay. I was on the road for two years, had to go back and do a marketing uh But still based here in Brisbane at that time. Based in Brisbane, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I started on the road for Nestle, um, I did um, three weeks in the city, one in the country, eventually two in the country, two in the city, clocking up 
I can always remember that both trips were around 2,100 kilometres and 25 stores and, right. uh, in a week. And that was, you know, and you, you would spend sometimes an hour and a half in each store. So right. you're, you're pretty working from dawn to dusk. Uh-huh. But it, it gave me an insight into the grocery game. It gave me an insight into marketing. And all of a sudden, all the historical stuff I'd been doing, you know, the, the PR... Uh, the door-to-door selling, the the, the job at uh, the roller skating, mm-hmm. all these things were, were were starting to form a view to me that yeah, I, you know this is this really interests me, mm-hmm. um, and I always had this long-term view of I wanted to get into general management. I mean, because that was the the sexy thing to do, mm-hmm. um, working with people. How dumb was that? <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah. So I I, I joined Nestles. I, I went back to uh, to uni. Um, I did all bar one final uh, uh, subject uh, to get a, a, a recognised second major, if you like, in, yep. in marketing, because yep. they, they transferred me to Sydney, and, and mm-hmm. that one role was actually doing a campaign in marketing, so I figure over the time I've done so yeah, many of sure. them, I at least have an honorary marketing right. major. But uh, yeah, so anyway, from there, moved to Sydney, mm-hmm. um, and I spent... Um, went down there as a product specialist, eventually became a, a, a product manager, um, and I was down there for, uh, I was going to go down for two years, get the experience and come back to Queensland because I, I was also in surf life saving, heavily, okay. heavily involved in surf life saving. Um, and so, family man at that stage? No, no, single, single. Okay. So, um, you know, it was, uh, I, it was before I was 30, so I, was, I, I left, I went down when I was 28. So as it turned out, I, I worked for Nestle for a period of time down there and then decided that, you know, I did my apprenticeship, if you like, in marketing. I mm-hmm. really wanted to learn the basics. I, I was offered jobs with a lot more money outside because it was a great training school. Mm-hmm. And I worked on some of the power brands like Milo, Nescafe, Blend 43, you know, International Roast. So I got I got a, a uh, experience right across the spectrum of from research right through to, you know, to, to product launches. So mm-hmm. very valuable skill. But I decided I'd stay there until I learnt my craft. Mm-hmm. And that was to me, a, it was a major learning for me because, you know, money is not everything in, in one's life. You, you've really got to understand. At some stage, you, you need to have a talent, and because it's a competitive world out there, so mm-hmm. you got to find your 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 strengths and, mm-hmm. and play to those strengths. And and it was there that I started also with the food. The whole area around agriculture started to interest me because a lot of people shied away. The marketing people shied away from that area because, you know. It was a lot of it was commoditized type products, right? And, um, so, um, um, so I thought, well, with my marketing school, where to from here? And eventually, I picked up a role with. Um, I left Nestle because I'd, I'd, I'd done what I could do there, um, and went to a company called Dairy Farmers yeah. Cooperative. So, just coming back, yep. um, you know, you were saying that uh, you had to recognise that you had a niche skill. Yep. Was that something that you kind of came to your own? thought around or did you have a mentor or somebody who uh, uh, parted that wisdom onto you <laughs> it's a it's a it's a it's a bloody good question and the answer is simple as this I was in Nestle as a as a brand manager and I was called into the marketing manager's office at the time a guy who was going a long way in the company he said John he said you know you've got to learn to play to your skill set where right. you, you you have a competitive advantage yeah and we believe that your your strength lies in your ability in terms of in sales. Right. So we, we actually want you to go leave marketing, go out and work your way up through the sales chains, like coming up from go to account manager to yeah, yeah. to running a state sales office, mm-hmm. etc. 
And I thought at the time, I said, yeah, that's terrific advice. I'll remember the bit about your competitive advantage. So that's where that came from. But yeah. I, I subsequently made the decision that, no, I actually knew that I wanted to do marketing. Yeah. So that's when we parted ways. Right, okay. And so uh, back to Brisbane then? No. Oh. I, I, so I was with, um, I joined uh, Dairy Farmers Co-op in, in New uh -huh. South Wales. Um, worked on ski, um, mm -hmm. yogurt, and uh, a few other dairy farmers products, and um, had a really interesting tussle with uh, Yoplait at the time. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I was there as a senior brand manager, and um, I suppose uh, it was getting close to uh, at that stage nineteen um, it was I don't know is mid 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 nineteen eighties, and um, uh, there was a, a dairy foods division and a milk division, and. Uh, the, uh, the milk division was still in a regulated environment, but they said that they needed to prepare for market deregulation. Mm -hmm. So they needed to build their own brand base. Mm -hmm. So they took me out of, uh, as a senior brand manager, and I was made marketing manager of, of uh, the milk division. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a, uh, a staff of one, that was me. Right. And I had a team around me who were production oriented people and they said, well, John, we don't know anything about marketing. Mm -hmm. I said, that's good, I know nothing about production, so mm -hmm. we'll get on really well. Mm -hmm. but, but the plan from the business was to, to, to prepare ourselves for, for market deregulation. We needed, we needed our brands to stand out. So I stayed with them for, for quite a few years, um, four or five years, and they had a major restructure. Um, and that didn't go my way, even though we, we did some terrific things there. I, I launched the world's first monounsaturated milk Okay. Um, it was called Farmer's Best, and uh, I can tell you they tried to kill it off. It may be dead now, but it, as a brand, it went on for probably 20 years. Right. Monounsaturated, so I'm trying to think back. You know, that was probably around the margarine days of talking about polyunsaturators and so on. So was that the sort of the, the, the new trend in health? It was. Um, right. And monounsaturated just came out with, like, canola oil. Yeah. Um, so those things uh, came onto the market, and... We needed a point of difference to break right. the mould. And um, anyway, to, to the farmers, I presented to the board. I said, look, it's not going to be a big big market, but it'll be good margin, yeah. nice volume, happy days. Right. And um, the, um, when we launched it, uh, the, the, the PR launch was that strong. We, there, there was people fighting over the product on the, on the shelf. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that was a, that's an interesting journey for another day, but uh, really fantastic product, one of mm -hmm. my proudest achievements. Okay. Um, so that advice about moving out of marketing to sales to me was justified with that, that one product launch. Right. I did a lot of others. Justified that you'd made the right choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and, and there's, there's multiple stories I can tell you about flavoured milk launches and milk products and other things. And, mm -hmm. um, but I, I really, I really learnt, I suppose, to, to really finesse my, my, uh, my strengths there. So that was a wonderful journey, but they end up having a restructure there. So I, I decided I didn't want to be part of that. I, I felt that I'd done enough, proved enough, and other people told me that I was shocked because they, they basically re, um, restructured all the different sales department and marketing, and mm -hmm. I was going to report to another marketing chap who was originally my boss, but I thought I'd moved on from there. But anyway, that's a story for another day. Nice bloke. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I ended up joining National Foods, and uh, uh, which was uh, their uh, fruit juice company called mm -hmm. Sunburst. Okay. So I stayed there for a number of years, but I was in. I was general manager of sales and marketing there. Uh -huh. Started off as general manager of marketing, eventually became general manager of sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. So that place, I started to learn more also about production, um, and just you know things out the factory, what we could do, not do. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I did learn that also at um, at Sunny Queen. Um, uh, sorry, at um, at Dairy Farmers. 
Um, so yeah, so I, I, I worked with them for a period of time, and uh, they I, I must admit I worked for four four CEOs in uh -huh. three years, and it became a very unstable business. But my job there was to ultimately and eventually prepare it for for sale. Mm -hmm. um, so we did a lot of things to restructure that organisation, and that was done successfully. Mm -hmm. My time really had run its race, and then I I found out that the, my old boss, dairy farmers, um, were were looking to restructure with market deregulation around the nation um, in the milk divisions and so I thought I'd go back and talk to them again and because uh, I wanted to get the general management. Mm -hmm. So they had a regional manager's position in Queensland and Northern Territory. And so in 1998, after going to be away in New South Wales for two years, I eventually came home. Right. <laughs> and you'd been away for, what, probably 12 uh, plus? 12, 14 years. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Okay. And I got married in, down there in yeah. between times. So uh -huh. I got two kids, so, um, or now adults. But, um, yeah, so we, we came up here for a working holiday, three to five years. Right. With the eventual uh, move to go back. So we got Queensland in shape, went through the whole deregulation process, mm -hmm. uh, set up you know, two factories, one at Bouval, one at Melanda. So there was some perks with the job. I used to go up to uh, up to the Atherton Tablelands mm -hmm. and and up to Cairns. And well, I lived in Cairns for four years, and I remember Melanda chocolate milk. So I was there ninety five to ninety nine. Yeah. That was just gold. It was yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was I was there at the same time as you were. Right. We didn't and we didn't cross paths. No, I was working for uh, P and O at the time, running their Northern Territory and Queen, North Queensland business. Right. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed Cairns for four years, but. I think I'd struggle to go and live there again. Yeah. Uh, it's fun for a while, but uh, it gets a little bit. Uh, uh, it's a bit of a groundhog day up there. Yeah, people do go tropo. They sure do. Yeah. And so, um, uh, interesting to see, you know, your career trajectory moving from a sort of a sales, then to marketing, then to general management pathway. And now to CEO, which we'll come to in a minute. But you know, more traditionally, or certainly, I would say the majority of um, CEOs that uh, I talk to come from more of the operational slash finance trajectory into CEO. You've come, you know, in a different direction. How do you think that that's changed or affected the way that you see your business? I've always believed, and particularly having worked in sales and marketing, particularly marketing. You know, it, it's all about the consumer and the people that, that buy your products. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm flabbergasted that there's not enough marketing, skilled marketing people, and also females mm -hmm. on boards because of the consumer base that goes and buys products, particularly mm -hmm. food companies mm -hmm. um, and even banks and everybody else. And I know there's some, some adjustments, but, you know, for me, uh, I think it's the best pathway because I stayed in the agricultural sector because, again, going back to that piece of advice, it was all about where I could add value. Mm -hmm. And to me, agriculture and adding value was the last frontier. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it was in dairy. Uh, it is in seafood. Mm -hmm. And and now it's it's in eggs. And, mm -hmm. um, and you can name probably half a dozen other product categories that sure. have similar issues, whether it be ginger or, mm -hmm. or whatever. But yeah. Um, yeah, it is all about adding value to, to your base product. Uh, and meeting needs of consumers. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was extremely important, and it is important with that background because you can add value to a business. Mm -hmm. And so, how did the uh, the Sunny Queen role uh, come to your attention? Well, um, after four years of uh, of market um, uh, with deregulation, I, I certainly did the job there. Um, they would they were going to start to move people uh, back to Sydney, uh, mm -hmm. and they restructured. I spoke to my, my, my wife, Petrina, and said, look, you know, I promised that 
once the job was done, we'd go back to Sydney. Um, what do you think? And we had two young kids at that stage, and she was settled. Kids were in uh, primary school and, and uh, childcare. Mm -hmm. She was making a circle of friends and said, no, you know, for, for our kids growing up, this is a much better place. Mm -hmm. So we decided to stay, and uh, so I, I happened to look in the papers, and there was an ad for the general manager of Sunny Queen. Uh -huh. uh, so I applied and uh, subsequently got the role. Right. And uh, although the role was titled general manager then, yep. it was largely whole of business responsibility? Correct. Right. Whole, whole of front end. So we, we, our operation is predominantly, Sunny Queen was a, a marketing distribution company, uh -huh. marketing sales distribution. So we looked after the front end and the farmers looked after the back end, okay. literally. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so and, and, and look, honestly, um, again, my uh, having come from a marketing background, you know, where strategy is really mm -hmm. important, strategic direction, consumer trends, looking at what's going on, on out there, looking at our strengths and weaknesses of business, because by this stage I, I'd had a you know, number of years experience now running factories as well. Yeah. I thought, you know, we can't, this is not the only pathway we should we should go. We can't put all of our eggs in one basket. So mm -hmm. we we looked at, first of all, the first thing I did was to, um, to, to just review our packaging as a business. Mm -hmm. because we were in plastic, no one else was, but I noticed that the, the, the packaging was hard to open and, and, and bags are being ripped. And Anyway, so we, we changed that, but more importantly, we then looked at our brand, and, and I, I just wanted to make sure that Sunny Queen Eggs brand meant something to Queenslanders, but I knew we had to take this interstate. Because mm -hmm. eventually supermarkets were going to do what they did overseas, so I only knew I had a limited period of time to, to get a brand meaning happening, to get products out there that... that um, resonated with consumers, so you know, for us, it was all about initially expanding our shell egg business, both interstate um, and multi multiple uh, channels of sale. Because mm -hmm. we had literally ninety-seven percent of our business was in shell egg. Um, we had a little bit of um, peripheral products, but um, uh, and and I'd say probably you know of that ninety-seven, ninety-five was in supermarkets. And your comment seeing what supermarkets were doing overseas, you're talking about the drive to a home brand, you know, um, uh, homogenised offering. Correct. Yeah. So it was all about doing house brands and, and having no other value adding in, in that right. sector because it was a commoditised product. Sure, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, change of packaging and then what were, if you think about this 15-year period yeah. and, uh, you know, from the sort of numbers you were talking about earlier, uh, the business has grown five times, and the headcount's grown, you know, substantively. Yeah. Um, what what were some of the key milestones along that period yeah. for you? Well, I think for me, first of all, was to was to uh, look. The business hadn't been making money um, for a long time. It was restructured uh, just before I got there. There was a strategy in place to to actually go house brand mm -hmm. um, and and become low cost producer. Mm -hmm. I felt that everyone could become a low-cost producer, so I really sat down, I looked at the business, I thought, first of all, we need a set of accounts. Uh, we, we, we needed our business to run like a food business. So we reorganised the deck chairs and, um, and set about getting our administration right, making sure that we got to automating our accounts so that the accountants weren't sitting there for one month doing one month's results and then start reporting that on the last day just to start all over again. Yeah. So we, we, I went into a lot of automated um, processes, but certainly restructuring our, the way we reported our, our, our business. 
looked at our, our uh, cash flow management, our, our inventory management. So that was really important. You, you can't build a skyscraper from the top four. You've mm -hmm. got to have a solid foundation. So that was step one. Step two, as I said, we were multiple, well, basically a one-state uh, operation. Although just before I joined, as part of the previous MD strategy, was to go house brand and mm -hmm. um, got a, a deal with Coles. Mm -hmm. um, and back then, uh, eggs were way over two dollars. Went down to a dollar ninety-nine. So our branded business went from eighty percent of our business to twenty percent, uh, and it peaked or should I say troughed out at 16% mm -hmm. of our business and it all went to house brand, which was low margin. Mm -hmm. Same volume, all we did was switch. Right. So I, I, I was left, uh, yeah, and that further reinforced so to what, me. Well, I mean, if it's the same volume, what's the benefit of going to house brand or did you just have no other choice? Well, I think, you know, the farmers ultimately wanted to build more business in terms of volume. Yeah. Um, and at that point in time, the previous MD felt that if we can be low-cost producer, we'll blow everyone else off the planet. I see, okay. But you know, when you look at the plant and equipment that's available around the world, if everyone's got the same equipment, their cost of goods are going to be the same. Sure. So it's a nil-sum game. Yeah. Uh, so I, I set about rectifying that, um, and I knew it was going to be a journey, but I needed to do it through brands. So the second most important thing I did was choose an advertising agency that understood where I wanted to go with brands, mm -hmm. um, share the dream with them, and hopefully they came on board mm -hmm. and would come on board. And, and our advertising agency, BCM, uh, who we've been with the whole time, did. And that's where our Smiley Egg was born. Right. Uh, so that was born in 2004, uh -huh. around that time. Okay. And everything we did had to have the Smiley on it, and eventually we were able to also print Smiley onto our eggs. Mm -hmm. But it gave us a point of difference. Mm -hmm. And we used to get letters even from prison officers say, you know, I work in a prison, and I have bad days there, but I love coming home from a night shift, opening up the fridge door and seeing a Smiley Egg. <laughs> makes me happy that's great so you know we, we knew we were on a winner but we had to stay true to that brand and, yeah. and we have we've we've never really we've updated it but the core value of mm. you know you know bringing a smile to people's face happiness mm. is is our core proposition mm -hmm. isn't it amazing that uh something so simple can have such a dramatic and um uh, an effect that has such longevity yeah and when you think about it and you, you think oh, why why couldn't we have thought about that 20 years ago but i suppose just the, the planets align at a particular time and the smiley face is born well yeah and, and, and it goes back it goes back to all the learnings that i had um, experienced through my working life and mm -hmm. and adding all those experiences and that knowledge together to get to something like that but the the most important thing for me uh and and I discovered along the way is that the most powerful way to change behaviour and influence consumers is, is through emotion, not through rational. Mm -hmm. So it benefits both emotional and rational. Mm -hmm. Emotive is always the most powerful. Okay. And so everything we try and do is, is around the emotional mm -hmm. area mm -hmm. and space, and that's what we think helps make us successful. Right. And at what point did the role change from being GM to CEO? So over a period of a number of years, we, we, we grew substantially. In fact, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we were number three in the market at one, at one stage, and we're probably now uh, number two in the market, very close to the number one in terms of volume. Yeah. Um, but in terms of um, brand, we are the number one brand in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, that was significant in our, in our progress, plus the belief in, in, in actually setting up a marketing department. A lot of people stayed in the commodity area. Mm -hmm. We tried to add value mm -hmm. through different products, uh, better approach to packaging, engaging consumers through social media now. So it's, it's been a growth 
and it's been a journey and we keep adding as we go. Uh, and I think now, more recent times, we've moved into also the value-added sector, as I said, which started in 2006, by the way. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been a long journey there. But I, I really do believe it's, it's about being a food company, not being an egg company. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then you took the role of CEO at what point? So I was made CEO, uh, gee, I don't know, around 2008, 2009, around that area. Did um, you note a substantive change in uh, the way you felt about the role or the way the role was positioned? Because largely you were CEO prior to that. Yeah, was. It was a, a change of title. But yeah. um, at that point, you know, with some self-reflection, uh, did you do a skills gap analysis on yourself and say, look, I've got some really great strengths in these particular areas. There are certain areas that I probably, now that I'm in this role, you know, fair income, I need to uh, uh, invest in upskilling myself. Yeah, look, it's an interesting question. Because we've grown our business organically, mm -hmm. um, and because I came from larger organisations, it, it was like, it never, it never frightened me to do what I had to do because I, I learned some good skills from some good people mm -hmm. um, in terms of, um, you know, particularly running the financials. Like, you know, I did accounting 101 back in my Bachelor of Business sure. days, and I got a pass conceded. I got 40, 48 <laughs> out of 100. Uh, but now I know what questions to ask the financial people. I know what to look for, and, and, but that comes from experience. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was a growth pattern. I did, uh, I did, do, uh, I did join a group um, uh, that we talked about, the Executive Connection, for a period of time, trying to see how other CEOs were doing things. But you know, ultimately and eventually, for a whole bunch of reasons, I've it wasn't working for me. Mm -hmm. um, I did do the uh, Australian Institute of Company Directors course. Mm -hmm. I, f I found that very good. Mm. Um, and I tend to go back to to brush up my skills and I always seem to do the finance for non-financial people every yeah. three or four years just to make sure I understand what a debit and credit is. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, and, 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 but to be honest with you, Richard, I've spent a lot of my life just working in the business mm -hmm. whilst trying to work on the strategic direction further down the track but mm -hmm. it, it's required a lot of effort here and we've because we've we've grown and made changes I mean mm -hmm. you know I, I can pull out my phone and I can tell you the profit I made by by custom by sales channel right from my phone every week right uh, through a, a special um, custom designed app for your business well our accounting systems we we, right. we, we, we you know we got to a stage where it, it's, it's like anything the part of the, the the people had to grow in administration. When we started to look after so many eggs, I knew if we didn't have a supply chain team, we, you know, to get the right egg in the right place in the right time to the right customer and the right packaging, mm -hmm. it takes a skill set. So we had to develop that. We also had to develop a set of numbers that now that we're all in these channels of sale, mm -hmm. how do we know we're making money? So ultimately, we had to change the computer system we had, and we did a wide search. So we 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 decided to go with AX Dynamics. Um, and um, some intelligence tools, business intelligence tools, mm -hmm. and we literally developed it around there, and we, that's how we run our business. So we we know where we make money, and where we don't make money. And I imagine that when you're moving into this value add uh, space, there would be lots and lots of things that you'd try. Some things would be tremendously successful. Some perhaps uh, that you thought would be successful it ended up, uh, uh, you know, being less so. Um, over this period, if you you know, what are some of the things that you tried and and they didn't work for you? Well, uh, 
quite simply, the, f the very first one was in fact our, the first product we made. Um, we started our value-added business, our meal solutions business, renting part of uh, a floor space at Coolangatta Airport where the local caterer was doing Alpha okay. Flight Services were doing yeah. their business, and we started making omelets. Right. Um, and so that, that's all very well and good, but we, we made omelets because we felt that was probably a product people wanted. Mm -hmm. But when we went out to sell it, we started selling to cafes, and, and, and it was it, it, we started with one salesperson on the road. So I had three or four people making omelets, one person on the road. People saw a frozen omelet, and yeah, no, no, thanks, no, that doesn't work for me. So right. we actually made a fundamental error from a marketing perspective. We actually went out there and created a product mm. that we didn't do enough homework on right. in terms of who wanted it. So, yep. so we had to go out and find some customers. And, and look, over time, we, we honed our skills, because mm -hmm. This area was never done in Australia before, mm -hmm. and particularly at the scale that we wanted to get to. So lessons learned there was, you know, we, we, we have a look at the channels of sale, look at the needs and requirements of those channels, think about what products would fit that, mm -hmm. go and talk to them, and then we start to launch products. So if that's been an example of one that's failed, on the other side of the coin, what's one that's uh, spectacularly succeeded beyond your expectations? Well, look, strange enough, um, uh, the, the omelettes uh, have, have, have carried on and, and right. we, we've worked with uh, quick service restaurants and we, we've done some limited time offers and uh, and that's been very successful for us um, mm -hmm. and particularly where we've been selling into hospitals and aged care. The other spectacular one is our poached eggs. Um, right. We, we, we've, we, we developed a technology there that we don't think is anywhere else in the world. Okay. Um, and uh, we've had a fan fantastic uh, journey with that, with that product. Mm -hmm. um, and you know the product, people wouldn't know it's been frozen. It's it's not a runny egg at the end of the day, a poached egg. Right. But it, it, when you when you taste it, it's creamy. And I can tell you now that um, all the um, quick service restaurants that that actually make uh, hamburgers and put egg on them and they cook the eggs. Right. And there's a few of them. Um, I could put our our product in their burger and they would choose our product over theirs every day. Right because we can control the time temperature cook and they have young people just cooking it until they it's dead because mm -hmm. of food safety mm -hmm. and therefore the, the, the flavour is not right. as, as, as rich. So how do you go about developing something which you know is so cutting edge you said I'm not sure if anybody else is doing this in the world, yeah. how, how, does that, how does that happen? Well we, we, we now have a marketing team here, we have a product development team, right. so we have a lot of people dedicated to this area, we go overseas regularly to look mm -hmm. at trends um, and look at products. Mm -hmm. and. Um, and we just start using common sense. I mean, one of the things we, we did recent times is, um, you know, it, it's amazing what you can do with just, you don't have to reinvent the wheel in terms of a new product. You might just have to change its shape. Mm -hmm. So we took an omelette product and we changed its shape into a, into a little pie by size. Okay. And we developed a canopy range for the food service market. Right. So it, it's, it's applying some, what I would call just uh, normal techniques, seeing what's out there mm -hmm. and so, well, hang on. If you can do dim sims and, and, and party pies and stuff like that, what can we do with an egg? Right. And so we, we do things like that. Um, we also try and take what's out there and make it better. Mm -hmm. I mean, our passion is all really about presenting you know, really good food, healthy food, tasty food, conveniently. Mm -hmm. And if we can, if we can achieve that, um, then we know we're, we're giving people beautiful products to eat through protein. So, um, so our product development uh, spreads across external information, mm -hmm. internal ideas, and just seeing what's out there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and look, Australia is behind the rest of the world when it comes to developed products. So, you know, the idea of, a, of an egg patty, you know, the US have been doing it for years, the UK has been doing it for years. So, 
we developed an egg patty. But, mm. but some of the products now, we're tr we are a marketing company, so we're starting to develop products that we believe, based on our research, mm -hmm. uh, is required by the market. Okay. And so when you look, you know, to Southeast Asia and uh, particularly India and China and this emerging middle class that have got a much greater appetite for, you know, animal proteins, yep. um, do you get excited about that? I do. It's 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 a long journey. We we actually started uh, exporting it. Uh, we we actually put on an export person two years ago, mm -hmm. and I knew the first twelve months they'd just be doing a lot of desktop work, visiting markets, just seeing what what's going on. Uh, we had an ultimate goal that we wanted to get into into China at some stage, like everybody, um, but we know there's a lot of risks attached to that. Mm -hmm. So we've our first steps has been to go into the Hong Kong Macau market, mm -hmm. and uh, you know take some of what we've got from here over there. And, uh, and, and just test the waters. But along the way, we, we, we're picking up information and knowledge that we never had, um, protocols, taking egg products overseas. A lot of them either have tariffs mm -hmm. or they don't have a protocol. If you don't have a protocol, you can't import the product. Mm -hmm. And the types of products we have, they're saying well, we haven't seen these types of things before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we, we've got one country that we've been working for four years, right. four years to, 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 to change their protocols. Right. And what about on the alternative route of actually establishing, you know, in-country businesses and taking your technology there, but you know, manufacturing locally? Yeah, it's a, it's a good observation, a good point. We uh, we've decided at this point in time to, to export. I, I'd imagine at some stage you would have to set up local if you got big enough, and the, mm -hmm. and, and and I suppose the motivation was there. Unfortunately, Australia is a high-cost economy, mm -hmm. and you know, people are trying to to you know, increase, improve productivity, um, you know, reduce their costs, but you know, it's like the power, all utilities, it just keeps going north and mm -hmm. it just doesn't seem to be an end to it. Mm -hmm. And it's going to really affect our competitiveness internationally because clean and green and, and traceability can only go so far, safe mm -hmm. food can only go so far. Eventually, it's got to come to an end. Mm. And you uh, have been here for 15 years. Yeah. Certainly, there's been uh, amazing growth and a lot of change and no doubt your roles evolved um, uh, over that time but when you look to the future now you know f in terms of your own career what kind of things are you excited about? Well look for me the first thing to do is to uh, put in place a succession plan uh, you know a more developed one we, mm -hmm. we, we do have one um, because you know ultimately you know being 15 years leading the charge and dealing with a lot of major customers does take its toll I think companies obviously need to be refreshed and I'd rather see them refreshed while they're going well. Too many companies do it when they're not going well because mm -hmm. they think, well, why change a beautiful thing? And that's the reason why you do because the beautiful things do come to an end. So for me, uh, I'm, I'm really interested in, in um, probably stepping down from full time uh, eventually in a, maybe another couple of years. Okay. Um, and um, probably look at um, some, some board positions. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in companies that I believe I can I can add a lot of value to, and I have a unique skill set. So, mm -hmm. when you've got a manufacturing, marketing, sales background, and you can combine it all together. Yeah. Well, I mean, coming back to your point about uh, board diversity, um, yeah. and uh, and certainly the traditional, we need a lawyer, we need an accountant. Now, boards, I work in board recruitment, and and a big part of the consideration when they're looking for for the NEDs is well, what are the gaps? Uh, in terms of skill set, what are the gaps in terms of um, gender diversity is a hot one now, but I imagine you know the, the diversity um, uh, element is going to become even more and more. You talked about you know banks and so on, they have these massive consumer, uh, massive numbers of customers, and then they say, well, we've got a large 
population of our customers are from a particular religious background or sexual orientation or age and so on, diversity is going to become more and more uh, uh, critical. And I, I agree with you. I think that uh, you know having an unusual skill set which gives you a unique selling proposition it suddenly becomes very attractive for boys. Um, so, uh, and that's only a couple of years away, you reckon? Yeah, well, look, you know, I've um, you know I've been on a number of boards already, uh, you know, both you know industry boards and um, um, and some volunteer boards and stuff. But um, and I've got obviously the sun pork role. Um, but yeah, that's I that interests me. But I, I don't want to do too many of them. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, maybe two or three. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't probably go any more than three. But probably two is a good number. Okay, just to spend some time. Yeah, I think uh, some people collect them like they're collecting us. Stamps and end up on six, seven, eight boards. I, I do question their ability to add a lot of value. Yeah. And so, a big part of the uh, the reason for this podcast is, you know, for our community of aspiring CEOs and non-executive directors to listen to those who've walked the path before them and pick up some uh, uh, key learnings. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've certainly mentioned a number of things along the way, but if you had to distill you know, some of the the critical considerations that have enabled you to achieve what you have. Um, and communicate that out to people who aspire for these sort of roles, you know, what would you say? I think, first of all, play to your strengths mm -hmm. is really important. Um, I think you need to analyse your weaknesses and, and understand, is that a, a deal breaker or a game changer? Uh, and do something about it. Um, and then really it's, it's focus all your energies and all your passion on getting the job done. Um, a lot of people talk the talk, mm -hmm. they can't actually walk it or execute it. Mm -hmm. And I, you think, I think that's, that's even true at CEO level, or you're talking more about the people who want to become a CEO? Oh, I think both. Right. Um, you know, you, you have good CEOs and bad CEOs, and mm -hmm. the bad CEOs end up being people who probably spend too much time way above the uh, way above the stratosphere and not understanding what's actually physically happening with mm -hmm. their people and their culture. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, it is a bit of both. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so, plenty of strengths. Uh, there's this sort of philosophy of, you know, understand your weaknesses and, and you know, work on developing those. And then there's this uh, more orientation towards um, just play to your strengths and, and allow the weaknesses to be uh, delegated to people around you. Your, your foot's much more in that camp, I take it. Well, no, I mean, for, for anyone aspiring to be a director, you, you cannot abdicate any role of uh, or any part of the business to somebody else entirely. You know, it's just nuts, that's crazy, because mm -hmm. you, you have your fiduciary duties mm -hmm. and your duty of care to the business. So um, I, I think what you do, though, do is you rely, because it's a team approach, you do rely on the specialist, if you like, mm -hmm. particularly the lawyers on corporate governance, um, you know, your accounting people on the, the, the absolute... Um, if you like the nitty gritty of, of finance, but but you know you need to know about you know cash flows. You need to know about you know insolvency. You can't leave it to the next guy to work it out for you. So you very much uh, same with HR issues. You you need to be across a lot. Mm -hmm. So you need to continue reading. Um, but you obviously play to your strengths. But you, you cannot afford to to not. Mm. be across the entire business. Mm. And you mentioned reading, uh, you're going to be spending some time this weekend reading. Is that business-related reading or, or uh, fun reading? <laughs> well, I don't uh, read phantom comics, but right. uh, no, look, it's, it's, it's a mixture. I, I, I do a lot of, um, you know, certainly 
I always start off with the newspapers and the, and the financial press. I like yeah. to keep a finger on the pulse and mm-hmm. see what's happening around the world. Um, catch up on uh, on various uh, business magazines um, and uh, and perhaps articles on you, know, you see online. Uh, but I also try and spend some time, you know, reading novels and, sure. and things like that. But but business reading and particularly having this sort of worldview um, is a big part of how you keep your own thinking fresh and 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 informed. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's amazing just reading, say, the financial review and seeing what other companies do uh, and working out how could I apply that to my business? Mm-hmm. Is it you know worthwhile? I mean, a lot of stuff you scan over, it's it's not worthwhile. But you know, it's a, it's amazing what information you, you read that can turn into a gem of an idea that mm-hmm. then turns into something of a reality. And that's happened to us a few times here. So. Right. Well, we've talked a lot about uh, business today and your career and so on. Uh, other than reading on the weekends, what are the kind of things that you enjoy doing when you're not at work to keep the petrol tank full and yep. you, you vital about life? So I, I enjoy, well, I don't enjoy going to the gym, but I go to the gym. I try right. to go you know, three or four times a week, three times a week. But I do enjoy going up the coast. I'm mm-hmm. fortunate enough to have a little holiday place up at Coolum, okay. um, where I was a lifesaver for yeah. many, many years. So um, that's right now, we, we, we stopped uh, renting that out to, to holiday makers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like that's my solid place to wind down, you know, go for long walks on the beach, go swimming. And then follow my other passions, which is food and wine and right. watching sport. Fantastic. Well, look, uh, John, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, given that it's Friday, have a fantastic weekend. You too, Richard. Okay. Cheers. Well, thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with John. I'm looking forward to having you along for future episodes of the podcast. And in the meantime... Have a fantastic week.